0: Podcast. What is up, College Cross fans? You're watching episode number 265 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about the NCAA Division One Final Four that will be held this Saturday. We have Penn State playing Duke, and then we have Virginia playing Notre Dame here on Saturday, and then we'll also talk about the games that are coming up. The Division Two Final and the Division Three final, which, we, which will be played on Sunday. So I'm going to preview all of them in depth. As always, before I get into it, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you're notified when we're putting out videos. If you are an audio listener and you're listening to this podcast, the audio version, I urge you, if you're not on Spotify, switch from whatever platform you're on to Spotify because with Spotify, you get both the audio and the video version together in one thing. So when I'm rolling through on the uh, weekend review show, and I'm showing highlights and talking about the game in that light. You can flip the phone sideways, watch the highlights in high definition, and then flip back when you're done. Uh, and then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch all of our videos there, listen to the audio podcast there, get yourself t-shirts and swag and all that crap. So that's it. I'm going to shut up mostly because I've already recorded this once. And in my first recording, I had no audio. This time I can confirm I do have audio and I'm good. So we're going to talk first here about Penn State and Duke. Now, these two teams have played like opponents. They both played Penn, Duke 1 by 2, Penn State 1 by 6, and they both played Michigan, Duke 1 by 7, Penn State 1 by 2, and lost by 2. So, like opponents, kind of a wash here. It doesn't tell us a whole lot, albeit they line up pretty well together, I think, overall offensively Penn State has a lot of guys that can play and they've been playing well together but Duke has a whole different thing going on on the offensive side of the ball now if we look at Brennan O'Neill here he's got 91 points 51 and 40 Dyson Williams has 61 points 57 and 4 Andrew McAdory has 59 points he's 36 and 23 now T.J. Malone Jack Trainer and Matt trainer they have 64 points, 47 points, and 37 points between them. Once you get it, so I mean, there, two things are not like the other. I don't make the rules. I'm just stating facts. When you weigh Duke's top three offensive guys against Penn State's top three offensive guys, it's not even really close. Now, that's not to knock... The Penn State guys, they are very good lacrosse players. They made it to the NCAA Final Four. It's just more a testament to how good I think Duke is. They they have gunslingers, and the gunslingers are going to fight some capable hillbillies, but not quite gunslingers here. Now, we start getting into the deeper par- areas of the roster. Garrett Ledman, uh, therefore Duke's fourth leading scorer. He's got 31 points to Kevin Winkoff's 36. So as we start getting into the depth that each of these teams have, I think that's where they start evening out because guys like Ledman, Denenza, Balsamo are not that much better than Winkoff, Long, Morin, and company. So I think when you get into the role-playing guys offensively, I think they're, both teams are very capable, um, but I think Duke, just that those top three are just so damn good overall. Um, And then as we get into the numbers aspect of it also, Duke holds the nation's fifth best offensive efficiency score. They score on 36.8% of their offensive possessions. Penn State, they're 26th in the land, and they score on 31.7% of their possessions. So all this to say, Duke has a definite edge, but Penn State is a very capable team, and they're going to put goals up, and they're going to be able to go on some runs to try to keep them in this game. Now, defensively, Penn State has a a statistical advantage over Duke. They've got the third best defense in the country, giving up uh, goals on 22% of their possessions versus Duke. They have the eighth best defense in the country. They give up goals on 25% of their possessions. So Penn State has a statistical edge, but I will throw out there that Duke has played the toughest schedule in the country and Penn State has played the not the toughest schedule in the country. Although I, it doesn't look like I have that, that in here. Oh, Penn State comes in at number eight. So Duke strength of schedule, number one, Penn State's strength to schedule and it's not just strength to schedule it's strength of record uh, they come in at number eight so I, I think defensively they're both pretty pretty even here overall if we get into personnel, um, we, we have Duke's long poles. I like Duke's long poles, At least their top three poles a little bit better than what I like out of Penn state here. Uh, or at least let's say the top three defenders I'm going to mention Kenny Brower for Duke second team, all American, he's a legitimate lockdown defender, honorable mention, all Americans, Wilson Stevenson on defense. He's done a great job this year. Tyler Carpenter, a very capable LSM. He hasn't put quite the numbers up this year that he has in past years, but that's partly because teams know how to play him. Now, uh, Penn state on their side, they got second team, all American, Jack Frassian in cage, and then they have honorable mention All-Americans Jack Posey at close defense and Grant Haas as a a defensive midfielder. Now, despite the fact that Penn State's scoring defense is more efficient in terms of getting stops, as I said, Duke played the number one country or schedule in the country. Penn State was number eight. All of this, a really long and drawn out way to to say, I think that overall, I think these teams match up pretty well together. I think that Duke defensively has been put through the gauntlet a little bit more than Penn State. So I, I that's where I kind of lean Duke, even though the numbers would tell me to lean towards Penn State. The, the kicker being here, in cage. Oh, and then one thing else I wanted to say about Penn State here: one of Duke's strengths is getting into the middle of the field and getting their hands free. It, it's cliched. You could say that's a lot of teams that win games. And a lot. It's a lot of their strengths, but Duke does it with a guy like Brennan O'Neill, Garrett Ledman. Duke has guys where the goal for those guys is to get into the middle of the field with their hands free, and and a guy like O'Neill loves to dodge himself into the middle of the field. So Penn State did a good job against Army and Princeton at trying to keep them out of the middle of the field. They protected the crease well. Duke's not necessarily... You know, Duke is a team that will hit a guy like um, um, Dyson Williams on the crease all over the place, but Williams isn't limited to playing just in and around the crease. He'll play, kind of play in around the fringes as well. Uh, he'll play on, you know, opposite a ball carrier and things of that sort as well. So... You know, Penn State's strength the last couple of games has been Duke's strength. Their their strength defensively has been protect the middle of the field. Uh, and even when they don't, they have Frassian there in cage to stop it. So either way. Those two teams aren't Duke though, but I think if they can protect the middle of the field and we know that Duke's going to attack the middle of the field, especially in transition in transition before the defense gets settled, O'Neal likes to get the ball on that left wing and dodge hard into the middle of the field in transition. McAdory likes to get the ball up towards that top corner and dodge down and get underneath. So Penn state's going to have to get back on D get settled, protect the middle of the field, and then really just try to get back and settled on defense as quick as possible in cage. You know, I think the only hope that Penn State has is Jack Frassian. Uh, he has to go off, maybe pick up somewhere between 17 to 22 saves. I think if he stops 17 shots, Penn State's going to be a couple goals down in this game. Um, I think if he stops 19 or more, that means that Penn State's either forcing overtime or maybe winning by a goal or two in regulation. So I think Frassian's going to have to go off in order to uh, for Penn State to have a chance to win this game. Will Helms been good in cage. For Duke overall, Uh, he stopped 64% of his shots against Michigan last weekend, but he struggled a little bit down the stretch in ACC play as as the ACC finished out their regular season play. So huge edge right here to Penn State in cage, and I think that's where their defense statistically is a little bit better than Duke's, but like I said, I like Duke's personnel in front of their goalie a little bit better than I like Penn State's, but I do like Penn State's goalie a lot better than Duke's. Face-off, no question. Duke's Jake Naso holds an enormous edge over the crew. Penn State's going to throw out at him. If we look at the goalies real quick, as I said, Wilhelm, 52%, Jack Frassian, 57%. We dive into the face-offs here. Naso sitting at 63%. And Chase Mullins is sitting at forty seven percent, so that's not even not even going to be close here. And then to make it worse, um, Penn State uh, make it worse for Penn State. Naso's hot in his last six games; he won. And I can even show you here versus just making you hear me say it. In his last six games, Notre Dame, he was 69%. Virginia, he was 66%. Syracuse, he went for 63%. Merrimack, he murdered them for 79%. Delaware, 60%. And then Michigan against a very good Nick Rowlett and Justin Whe- uh, Wheatfelt. Uh, he went 52% in their win by a margin over Michigan here. So is a killer. And the faceoff guys for Penn State are not killers. Now, with that said... Penn state won their last two games, uh, over Princeton and army, despite losing 60% of the draws, but Penn state and Princeton are not Duke. I don't think you're going to lose 60% of your draws against Duke and still win that game. I think that'll be very tough to do. Um, Overall, my prediction in this one is Duke by three to five goals. I think Penn State's good enough to keep it interesting, uh, but I think as we've seen, I think Duke's going to stretch a lead, maybe as many as five, six, even seven goals before Penn State maybe goes on a final run to get it back to within that margin that I'm picking. But I think three to five goals is reasonable, and I think Duke will win this game. Next game. I'm going to talk about here is Notre Dame against Virginia. Now these guys are the only two, the only teams so far out of this group that have uh, played head to head. Virginia won both meetings this season. They won the first matchup 15-10. They won the second 12-8. Connor Schellenberger went six and six in those two wins, uh, over those two wins, and Xander Dixon scored ten goals and had two assists. So they each. Scored 12 points in the two wins over Notre Dame. The Cavanaugh brothers in those two losses combined for five goals and six helpers. So just like Duke has had Virginia's number, Virginia has had Notre Dame's number. Now against like opponents, which there are many of them here, Georgetown, they both played. Virginia won by three, Notre Dame by seven. Maryland, they both played. Virginia lost. Notre Dame won by a goal. Virginia lost by a goal. Hopkins, Virginia won by 5. Notre Dame won by 3. Ohio State, Virginia won by 11. Notre Dame won by 13. Syracuse, Virginia won by 7. Notre Dame won by 8. Duke, Virginia lost by 2. Notre Dame won by 5. And Carolina, Virginia won by 7. Notre Dame won by 7 and 9. That would indicate to me, if they didn't have the head-to-head, that Notre Dame probably had a considerable edge. But given that Notre Dame lost both of these games. We know that's not true, so I don't think the like opponents, even though I just wasted all of your time and bored you to death with that. I don't think that plays all that heavily in here. Offensively, these teams are good enough. Both of them are good enough that we got to start with the data. Virginia has an offensive efficiency of 41.7. That means they score goals on 41.7% of their possessions. Notre Dame comes in at 39.8. They are number one and number two in the country, with Syracuse and Duke sitting at number three and number four. So the ACC was very good offensively this year. The difference to me seems to be I think Virginia's playing a little bit better offensively lately. They scored on 46.9% of their possessions last weekend against Georgetown. I think in terms of overall team chemistry, I'd give Virginia with a healthy Schellenberger just a very slight edge over Kavanaugh, over the Kavanaugh Brothers and Notre Dame. Now, defensively is where I think Notre Dame has been making up for any any kind of, you know, let's say sputtering they've been doing offensively in the last couple of games. Defensively, they held a good Utah team to only scoring on 15.8% of their looks in the NCAA tournament's opening round. And then against John Hopkins, they only gave up uh, goals on 22% of their possessions a weekend ago. So even if they aren't connecting fully on offense, coming into this game against Virginia, they seem to have figured out some things defensively. However, we got to throw the caveat out here that the last two times they've met, Schellenberger gave Chris fake fits in that first meeting. He had uh, five assists. He had two goals and five helpers. Dixon put up six goals and a helper in game two. Schellenberger was a little bit quieter. He was hobbled by that time. He was one and three. Dixon went for four goals and a helper. Uh, The Cavaliers' dynamic duo has gotten the better of the brothers' Kavanaugh in 2023 here so far. Now, one thing that was apparent... With Notre Dame's biggest strength, and I think Notre Dame's biggest strength is the Cavanaugh brothers' quickness on the dodge, the Cavanaugh brothers' ability to turn a quick dodge into a quick feed and a goal to Jake Stevens or to middies out top. Uh, I think one of their other strengths is midfielders dodging into the middle of the field and down the alleys. I think they do a good job spot shooting. But I think that what we saw in the first two meetings here is that that strength is kind of negated by the experience. The strength and I think the length overall of the Virginia defense. You got got big guys, guys like Cole Kastner, um, uh, Sawstead, and then you even got like Matsui. I think even Matsui is like six foot six one or something like that. Um, You know, and then uh, uh, Bauer running around too. So I mean, uh, it's. You can get beat by a quick guy like Kavanaugh, but if if his one step is just three-quarters of your step, then your recovery speed is going to be a little bit better. And it, it did seem to be that in their meetings, Virginia did a very good job of recovering after getting beat on a dodge and not even really having to go too deeply into their help defense, I think they did a good job of just not fully getting beat, and that made it difficult for Notre Dame to kind of get into that second phase of their offenses, which is let's get a step on some guys, we start drawing some slides, then we start hitting some step down shooters, then we start picking them apart in the crease as you start to you know kind of get out to try to clamp down on the outside shooters, then they they start hitting Jake Stevens in the crease and all hell breaks loose, or Jake Taylor on the crease and all hell breaks loose loose, but. That 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 seemed to be Notre Dame's strength seemed to not be quite the strength against Virginia in their first two meetings. Now in cage, definite edge to Liam Entman and Notre Dame. Entman has both experience and numbers that he he can hold over Matthew Nunes' head. Entman save percentage here. As we dive into it, is fifty-seven uh, percent. Matthew Nunes is sitting at fifty-three percent. Both can be very good, but Entman's more consistent. He's got a lot more to prove at this stage. Not that Nunes has like won noons hasn't won a national championship, but he has played in a championship game at least. Here, uh, Entman has not. Um, but Notre Dame's never never winning a national championship and getting let left out. I think those are the two big storylines and kind of the the locker room material that that Notre Dame's going to be using. So I definite edge in cage here though to Entman uh, because he's just a better goalie overall. Faceoffs for sure. Petey fucking Lasala uh, has a has a huge edge over Will Lynch and Hagstrom. Lasala hanging out at fifty six percent. These guys probably about forty five percent between the two of them. More importantly, Lasala has taken by himself. Uh, 458 face-offs to their combined 407. So definitely edge goes to Virginia. Now, if I'm putting it all together here, my prediction is going to be Virginia's going to win for the third time against Notre Dame this year. That's very tough to do, but I think they have a... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. A team that's playing well enough right now to do that I think they win by 1-3 to three goals. I think the way that these two teams match up it gives Virginia a slight edge overall they've been playing well defensively Noons has been above 50% in each of his last six games leading into the last game where he was 48% against a very good offensive Georgetown team I think if Noons can hang above 50% between the pipes and Petey can win 55 at the faceoff dot I think Virginia wins in a close game. If Noons comes out and has a rough game and if the Cavanaugh brothers get hot now this is all going to change a little bit. I think Virginia could still win in a shootout in that case, especially if they're winning the possession battle at the faceoff dot, but we're going to have to see. But I'm going to go with Virginia by one to three goals in this one. You can chirp me all you want after. I keep getting paranoid, and I have to look over here to make sure I still have audio because I recorded 25 minutes and uh, did not have audio through the whole thing here. So I'd already done this once and lost my shit. Uh, Next game I'm going to talk about, Lenore Ryan against Mercyhurst. Now, this is kind of an unexpected game here. I think Lenore Ryan has the overall advantage because I think Miles Moffitt Uh, Here, 47 and 33 with 80 points, and this Torin Eccleston, both sitting at 80 points. I think they're a better offensive duo overall than Miles Ham and Ethan Landemore are for Mercyhurst. If we look at the numbers, like opponents, Maryville, Mercyhurst beat by four; Lenore Rhine beat by 15; Wingate, Mercyhurst beat by three; Lenore Rhine lost by six. So I do think that that Maryville score might tell us something, but that Wingate loss kind of negates that, and now we're back to square one. Now the data. We'll speak a little bit differently here. Uh, Adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency. Lenore Ryan is number one in the country. They score on 40.1% of their possessions. They only give up goals on 18.1% of their possessions. So they're number one in both of those numbers. Mercyhurst comes in at number 18 offensively and number three defensively. So I think the edge goes to Lenore Ryan there and my prediction's going to be. Uh, and then, wait, let me let me dive in before I say that. Face-off-wise, both have very good goalies here. Brett Olney of Mercyhurst sitting at 58% between the pipes. And uh, Rob Pensabine for Lenore Ryan, 61% between the pipes. And then if we look at the face-off battle... This leans into Mercyhurst because Sean Doran, seventy-two percent at the dot for Mercyhurst. He'll take the bulk of the draws, and uh, John Paulus, very capable at sixty percent, and then Matthew Manc- uh, Mancini, Mancini, fifty-two percent. So that could play well for Lenore Ryan, having two guys that both win above fifty percent go out there. But Sean Doran is a killer at the face-off dot, so that's going to play in this game as well. In the end, though, my prediction. Lenore Ryan wins by one to three goals. I think they've been better offensively than Mercyhurst overall. I think it looks like Mercyhurst has a tendency to to rely a little bit too heavily on dodges, and uh, that would mean they'd have to win a lot of 1v1 matchups. And against a solid defensive team like Lenore Ryan, that might not play well into the score. So I'm going to go with picking Lenore Ryan to win by a goal or so. Uh, but if, you know, Sean Doran can just absolutely just roach people at the faceoff dot, that could change. If he wins 72% of the draws and game off here, I think uh, Mercyhurst flips it and wins. I just think that Paulus and Mancini will do a good enough job to limit him. Doran's not going to win 72% of the draws, ideally for Lenoir Ryan. And I think they probably will win this game. Next one we've got to talk about here. It is Tufts and Salisbury. Now, both of these teams have two players that have more than 100 points. If we dive into this here, Jack Boyden and Kurt Brunn for Tufts, they both, Boyden coming in at 154 points, Brunn coming in with hundred and thirty, uh, 103, and they're split pretty evenly. Boyden 68 and 86, Brunn is 57 and 46. Now, for Salisbury, it's Cross Ferreira, 85 and 33 for 118 points, and then Jude Brown 36 and 65 401 101 points. Now we start getting into the depth behind those guys. Tufts has Tommy Swank hanging at 93.7. He's he's a, a primarily a goal scorer. 72 and 21 on the season for Swank for 93 points. As we get into Salisbury's third leading scorer, Jack Dowds only sitting at 67. But we see Dowds at 67, Bromwell's at 61, Nestor's at 60. So if we go into the top six guys um overall Salisbury's hanging with Tufts and then as we get into the depth below that both of them are pretty much even Tufts does score a lot more points they're just a run and gun team uh, so that kind of happens now goalie battle Both of them are sitting pretty. Uh, Connor Garzone, he's 56% for Tufts. Nicholas Ransom is 56% for Salisbury. And then if we dive into the faceoff dot, uh, definite advantage goes to Mason Cohn and Victor Salcido, who will both probably take draws for Tufts. 71% and 52% respectively between the two of them. Definite advantage over Blake uh, Malamphy for Salisbury, who's won 59%. Still a duo, though, so they're going to be able to kind of throw a different look set overall, but Tufts has that advantage um, as well. If we look at the data and the like opponents as we dive into it here, uh, Lynchburg, uh, they both played Lynchburg, Tufts won by 15 and by eight in their two meetings, Salisbury won by one. Cabrini, Tufts won by 17, Salisbury won by seven. York, Tufts won by 15, Salisbury won by four. Amherst is the only one where Salisbury beat them by more. Salisbury won by four. Tufts won by two. Offensive efficiency. Salisbury is the number one offensive in the the country with a 43.2% number. Tufts is coming in at 39%. Defensively, Tufts is number five. Salisbury is number eight. So they're pretty close overall in that way. My prediction. Tufts is going to win by three to five goals. I think this Jumbos team is built to win a championship. They've only played six games this season where they didn't win by four or more goals is I think what that number was. They handled RIT last weekend. While I think I could be off by the margin in saying that I think they're going to win by three or more, I think it's going to be very tough for Salisbury to take Tufts down here. Uh, So I think Tufts is going to win by three to five goals. That is my prediction. And, uh, that's it guys. 21 minutes. That's going to be one of the shorter episodes as of late, because we just have these four games that I wanted to talk about here. Um, yeah, this will be the last time I'm coming at you with my vest deferens Still connecting, still connected to my gonads. You know, D's nuts are about to be, uh, you know, just a shell of their former selves. Here come Friday. So when I come at you on Tuesday, remember Tuesday is going to be the the recap show for Memorial Day weekend's event. So I might put out, and I think I probably will put out an audio only. Podcast on Sunday to quickly just kind of recap the semifinal games from Saturday. And then Tuesday, I will recap the finals. I will recap the Division Two and the Division Three finals, and then I'll talk a little bit about the semifinals as well. So hit up Sunday, audio only on Sunday. I'll put it all over social media so you can find the links on Twitter. Twitter's the best place to find it, or just go to laxfactor.com. But I will put an audio podcast up on Sunday, just record it on my phone. Might just be like 10, 15 minutes, quick thoughts. And then Tuesday is the big episode where we will recap, have highlights for... All three finals, and we'll still talk a little bit about the semifinals as well. So, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, so, like I said, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch the video podcast there, find the audio podcast there. You can get Lax Factor podcast t shirts or just regular lacrosse related t shirts. Uh, you can do all that crap. So, that's it. I'm going to shut up. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back on Tuesday specifically for the Memorial Day recap, covering all the finals and everything like that. And uh, that's it. Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.